Yeah, and all God's people said, amen. He has been so, so good to us. Let me give you a couple side notes here before we jump into the sermon. As you know, we don't have a time limit here. We have first service. We've got to be careful, but here we don't. So just about the time our brother was being baptized, guess what happened? At 10.22 this morning, spring arrived. I looked at my watch, and just about the time he was going under, God sent spring. Amen. Now, go ahead. Yeah, y'all need to clap on that one now. That's just good. That's just good. And I, I want to thank my friends right here on the front row. I'm telling you, this is part number two. So we were having our men's breakfast up in the uh, upper fellowship hall. And uh, had about 30 guys there. It was just awesome. Brother Jeremy brought a great message of encouragement. And then all of a sudden, here come all these, these kids about this tall. And I, I mean, a whole gaggle of them. Just, and they were quiet and reverent, you know. And they came through. I had a little pitter-patter at feet, you know. And, oh, this is, this is like the old days. This is good. And then you guys came. And then all these, like, 20 youth came through, you know, quiet and reverently. But blah, blah, blah. I'm going, this is like the old days. And then, then we have these, these sweetie pies up here, okay, and they're doing their thing. And I said, this is like the old days. And guess what? God is good. Amen. God is good. And, oh, oh, and also, we had 83 in first service this morning. Yeah, and a good crowd today. I want you to know that. A good crowd today. So God is just really blessing. And my word is simply this. Let's not take any of that for granted because he has been oh so good um, to us. Well, you can tell that we have a new song, a new video, and a new slide. And I bet you put six and four together and came up with ten. And you have figured out that we have a new series. And in fact, we do. And this one is simply entitled four. And you get a hint of the number four, what that means when you see four decades. So on April the 23rd, 1982, um, I was licensed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I was already pastoring a church. And I remember my pastor at the church we went to on Sunday evening. We don't have Sunday morning church. And so, so Sunday night, we'd go back to First Baptist Church of Warrensburg, where I was a deacon and all that. And I remember Brother Huff saying, you know, if you're going to be a pastor, we probably ought to license you. And I said, okay, that's great. So on April the 23rd, on a Sunday night, um, I preached that night. And I got my little certificate that said I was licensed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I was ordained a year later on June the 12th, uh, 1983. And so this is a very special year for me because I'm celebrating 40 years as a pastor. So I said, wouldn't it be fun to, in honor of that with my life, wouldn't it be fun to take four incredibly powerful scriptures from my growing up and my past, uh, pastorate, you know, that mean a lot to me and share it with you guys, my church family, over the next four weeks. And that's exactly what we did. So we have four decades. We have four scriptures. And each one of these scriptures teach a very, very powerful keystone truth um, for our lives. I'm very excited and I'm looking forward to sharing these with you. And this first one is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And the sermon title, of course, is Dying to Live. And then Dying to Live, and we're going to, uh, it, we're going to celebrate a new way of living. Dying to Live, a new way of living. Now, this is a special verse. This verse actually came into my life um, before I was a pastor. We, on Wednesday nights, we had RAs. Anybody remember RAs? 
Yeah, a few of y'all do. Yeah, well, it was a big deal back in those days. And I, again, I was you know, 16, 17 years old, and it was cool to be an RA. It was just a cool thing. And so we did that, and it was a role ambassadors, and we learned about missions on Wednesday night. But the best part was, you know what we did after we had our class? We played football. Dude, and we played tackle football at church. It was a blast, man. We had a good time. Uh, They used to call me Little Eddie. And see, Big Eddie weighed about 350 pounds. And I was not real heavy, but I was was hard to tackle. So they called me Little Eddie. And Little Eddie played football on Wednesday nights. Well, part of that was there was different steps, you know. You kind of like grew, you know, uh, went through different promotions, if you will. And so the last one that they had in RAs was called the Guide the guide. And part of that was you had to memorize a scripture. And one of the scriptures we had to learn was, was Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, back in the old days, um, really, there really wasn't anything besides the King James Version. There are a few offshoots somewhere, um, but mainly it was King James Version. And that's what I memorized. And all these years now, uh, since I was 16 years old, this verse has been a part of my life, an important part of my life. And of course, I remember it so well, the King James Version. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your, and I always like this, which is your reasonable service. I always liked that translation. Of course, I like the one we have today, too, but I really liked that. So that's how Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 has been a part of my life, and I want to help today to make it a part of your life. Now, I don't know what the urgency is. I can't explain it to you, but I know over the last, particularly last year, I have felt a strong need as a teacher to help you to learn. It's just not enough to come and sit under my voice. And I have to be honest with you, when I go to a pastor's conference, I don't do what I'm about to ask you to do. I'm not a note taker. But I want to encourage you, at least, be willing to open up the worship event. And that's, we saw on the screen there. If you open up on your smart device, go to version, go to more, go to events, and you'll find doors filled. Just click on that and open it. In the upper right-hand corner, there's going to be a, a, a little button that says save. And if you save that then all the scriptures and all the slides will be on your smartphone forever. And so in about a year from now, when something's going to resonate, you're going to go, wait a minute, didn't, didn't God speak to me on a Sunday morning, March the 20th, when spring came? Didn't he speak to me? And what was that? And you can go back and look at those slides, the teaching points, and the verses. It's important, folks. It's important. Because I know this verse has impacted my life uh, these last, you know, these last, well, since I was 16 years old. I mean, yours it is a lot. Okay, and I want to have the same impact for your life. So I hope that you'll you will do that. Of course, you don't have to open your smart device. If you're one of those old fashioned folks, get your pen and pencil out and maybe just take some bullet notes this morning because I think it will really, really help you. So so the situation is we've got Paul right in the the middle of Romans. And sometimes can I be candid with you? Romans is just hard to understand. It's, It's sometimes like like, you know, Paul had these spurts in Romans of incredibly deep theology. And then every once in a while, he would just spurt out a simple, simple, plain truth. And that's exactly, actually, the whole Romans chapter 12 is just an incredibly great chapter. It's great, in my opinion, because it's got great truths, but it's also easy to understand. It's easy easy to grasp. So he starts out in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. We're going to take verse number 1 and divide it into three parts, okay? And in part A here, he starts out and says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of, and here it is, 
the mercies of God. Now, this, this verse is just pregnant um, with meaning. First off, take those words in view. In other words, through the lens of. So what he's asking us to do is look, look through the lens of God's mercy. To view our world through the lens of God's mercy. To view God through the lens of his mercy. Now, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, this word mercy right there, mercies and mercy, means to, to actively show compassion. To actively show compassion. So Paul says, right off the get-go, he says, and, you know, and through the lens of, through the lens of that, and how God you know, actively shows compassion in our lives, he's going to urge us to do something. Now, when I was growing up, um, I grew up Southern Baptist. I was in church probably from the time I was like five years old. I mean, you, you know, Sunday, you went to church. You may go fishing Sunday afternoon, although my dad wouldn't allow that. But you could go fishing in the afternoon. You play football in the afternoon. But the bottom line was you went to church on Sunday morning. When you did that, I, you know, this is what you did. But all through those years of me growing up in a Southern Baptist church, I don't remember a big emphasis on the grace of God. It wasn't legalism. That would have come later. But, but what I remember is, is if you don't, God will get you. you know, grace just wasn't a big deal with the teachings. Uh, it may have been there and I missed it. I don't know. But all I know is I grew up fearing God. I, I grew up just knowing that if I messed up, then God wouldn't be happy and God would get me. And I just grew up that way. And it, and it is so far from the truth. And then, and then to pour gas on the fire... Um, when I joined the Air Force and moved away from home, I landed at an independent Baptist church at the base where I was stationed. And an independent Baptist churches are known for their legalism. And uh, they were a very, very hardcore legalism. And they definitely taught, if you didn't keep the rules, God was going to get you. So five years of that added to already this insecurity I had about how God felt about me. And then comes along with the five years of legalism. And that just reinforced the idea that God wasn't happy with me. And I was a mess. And the crazy part is I stayed a mess my entire life. Even the first part of my ministry, it got better. I, I started understanding about mercy. I started understanding about grace. Um, but the bottom line is my motivation, and this is important, my motivation for doing using what I did was the fear of God and not the mercy of God. First off, wrath, wrath is a poor motivator. You know, it may scare you into doing something for a while, but not forever. So what is the great motivator? The great motivator is the mercies of God. What should motivate us to, as Jesus followers to do? Well, first off, what should motivate you to become a Christian? It should be your understanding how limited it might be. And somebody explains to you how wonderful God's love for us. They sent us in Jesus Christ to die on the cross. This is the ultimate symbol of God's mercy. He loved us that much. And so, so it should start there, but it should con continue that, that we should understand that 
God really loves us. God really cares about us. And God extends his mercies to us. You know, Jesus was a big fan of this. Now, every, every once in a while, he showed a little bit of wrath side of him. But, you know, but by and large, you know, he showed this mercy, especially when broken sinners like a woman taken in adultery, he showed mercy. When Mary and Martha were crying at the tomb of Lazarus, he showed mercy. Um, when when Jairus' daughter was dead, he showed mercy. When a leper came up and, and the, the world rejected him, he showed mercy. He was such a merciful Savior. He, he believed that. And I want you to, even, even tough Paul, who could be so blunt, when, when he comes to this point and says, now, I'm going to ask you to do something. And my motivation is not the wrath of God. My motivation is the mercy of God. This is huge for us. It will change the way you do life. When, when as the sermon title says, when you're, you know, when you're dying to live... And it's a new way of life, a new way to live. It changes everything. Two teaching points. The first one um, is this. When I put on a pair of sunglasses, and you know, this is just a practical illustration. You know, I put on a pair of sunglasses, and, and then I look at my world, and the color changes. You know, if I put on you know, green, things are green. If it's still gray, you know, you've got your Ray-Bans on, still gray, things become a grayish color. If you're, if you're into cool colors, you put blue or pink or something like that on. That colors how you see your world. It's just a fact. Well, it comes along now and says this. So, I view the world, I view the world not, not through God's wrath. See, you want to know why people don't want anything to do with God. When you, when you color their world with God's wrath, they go, mm, I'm not sure. You know, God does have justice. Don't be wrong. But, you know, he goes, I don't know. But when we view the world through the lens of God's mercy, it changes me. It changes me. I like changing this word. You know, when I view my world through the lens of God's mercy, when I, see, when I view my family, when I view my husband or my wife, when I view my children. Hey, guys, when you view your parents through the lens of God's mercy. When you, you mean that teacher that is really hard in school? You know, you, as a Jesus follower, when you, when you view her or him through the lens of God's mercy, it, it, it changes you. It changes you. It changes you. So, so, so when we start seeing the world through God's mercy, it changes me. And that enables me then to turn around and change my world. You remember what Luke 6.36 says? We talked about it. You know, when Jesus said this radical thing about loving your enemies. You know, what? Love your enemies. And then he comes along and says this. Now listen. This is Jesus. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So Jesus says, I, I view my world through the lens of mercy. Remember this? We talked about this. This being a bleeding, broken man on a cross. And down here are people taunting him. And down here are the people that nailed him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That was mercy. Jesus would say, I view my world through mercy. Now you need to view your world through God's mercy. If you ever, if you want to be like my father, then you need to be merciful. You need to be merciful. It's just, it's just a huge truth. Now, teaching point number two is also important. It says God's mercy is bigger. Now, you need to get this. 
God's mercy is bigger than any mistake or sin you will ever make. So, so if you're over here and you make this really incredibly stupid mistake, you make a bad decision, that's what I'm talking about, bad decision, okay? You may say, well, there ain't no way God's going to deal with that in a good way with me. You need to understand something. God is a God of mercy. And there is no sin. Somebody say, no sin. Yeah, there is no sin you're going to commit that God's mercy is not greater. You need to believe that. If not, you grow up like 16-year-old Dwayne and 15-year-old Dwayne, fearing God and his wrath, just knowing I'm going to mess up enough where God will say, I don't love you anymore. Your mama might do that, and your daddy might do that, and your parents might do that. But your God, as a Jesus follower, your God will never say, I can't love you anymore. His mercy is bigger than any sin and any, any uh, mistake that you're going to make. And this, what you're fixing to get, is so golden. It's kind of cool that David included that in his scripture today. You know, in Lamentations 3.22, the, the, the author declares, His mercies are new every morning. We've heard this. I love to preach this. They wrote a song about it. You know, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's one of the things we really, really love. But, but through an email devotion that I received from Mark Batterson, and Judy got it also. Actually, she got it first and forwarded it to me. It was a game changer huge. Are you ready for it? Are you paying attention? It is good. I'm fixing to give you pecan pie with ice cream. Okay, here we go. All right, so we, Lamentation says his mercies, his, his ability to show compassion, you know, to actively show, show compassion, his mercies are new every morning. Now, here's what I knew. What I knew was, is that that meant that every day at my house, God's UPS driver would show up and there'd be a new boatload of mercies. Okay? So every day, his mercies were new. I'd get up on Monday, his mercies were new. I'd get up on Tuesday, his mercies were new. I'd get up on Wednesday, his mercies were new. And on and on and on. It was like the children of Israel with the manna. Every day they went out and there was the manna. Every day they went out and there was the manna. Well, his mercies, I knew that was the same way. God gave me a new boatload of mercies every single day. His mercies are new every morning. Okay, It's, it's something that, that happens every day. But then I've learned. I found out that this Hebrew word for new not only means every day, again and again and again, I found out it means different. I found out that God not only brings mercies to my door every day, God brings a different mercy every day. Uh, do y'all ever wake up? It's, not, it's like Groundhog Day. You live the same day over and over again. You say, well, no, that's a movie. And that's exactly right. You know and I know that every day is going to be different. And guess what God does? Because God knows, first off, you know, Psalm 139 says that he knows all the days of our life. So God knows that every day is going to be different. So he doesn't send you yesterday's mercies. He sends you mercies for that particular day. See, God, now this is what I want you to write down. God is not a cookie-cutter God. He customizes. God 
is not a cookie-cutter God. He customizes. So, so God looks at me, and then he looks at Martha, and says, Martha, you're going to have a different day than Dwayne. So I'm going to send you different mercies. It's just good. <laughs> I'm going to send you mercies that will help you through your day. Now, Dwayne's mercies won't work for you. So I'm going to send you different mercies. Now, is that an incredible God or what? I mean, you guys, you know, God knows what you're going to face at school. He knows what you're going to face with your parents. He knows the difficulties you're going to face. And what he does, he sends. You know, you know I'm an old guy, and, and he, he could send you old, old mercy. He could, say, he could send you old, old guy mercies. But he doesn't. He sends you young guy mercies because he loves you. And that's what he does. So, so the key phrase is right here, this new mercy thing, it's a time thing. And it's a kind thing. It's, 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 a, it's a time thing every day. Just like the children of Israel, they learn, they learn manna, 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 manna. God was going to send them manna every day. They understood and they realized that. So it's a time thing. You know, God is going to send mercy. He's going to send mercy. He's going to send mercy. He's going to send mercy. But this is what's golden. It's not only a time thing. It's a kind thing. It's a kind thing. Um, Patterson pointed this out in his email. I did it a little bit different way than him. But I have this website I go to, and when one of you die, and, you know, if I want, to, want something cool for your funeral, I'll say, well, how many days did they live, you know? Well, I decided to check me, okay? So this morning, um, I went to the website, um, Days Between Dates, I think it's called, and I found out, that I, as of today, this very moment, I have lived uh, 24,911 days. From the time I was born on January 6, 1954, to this time, I've lived 24,911 days, which I thought was kind of cool because you got 24, like in 24 hours a day, and 911 help, <laughs> you know. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Anyway, so, so anyway, so, so I've lived that many days. Now, now here's what that means. That means 24,911 times God showed up the door of my life with a different mercy. Batterson went so far as to say that's kind of like fingerprints. Because every day is different, God's mercies are different. And he is looking in your lives right now, and he is customizing mercy for your life. I just think that's incredible. I just think that is so, so wonderful. You know, you know, he does the same thing with grace. You know, you know, you sit there and when you when you're when you're born again, when you're saved, he gives you saving grace. And then then as you live life, he gives you living grace. You know, remember when Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 has got this thorn in his flesh, this bad deal going on, and he prays, you know, and God tells him, No, Paul, I'm not gonna take that problem away. Just it's not gonna happen. But I will give you grace. And Paul, my grace is sufficient. So you're discovering probably that as you journey with Jesus through life, he sends you new grace every day. And and some of you are sitting there going, I am so afraid of dying. I just know this is not going to go right and I'm going to die. And and listen, when the time comes, he's going to give you a special gift. That's called dying grace. He'll give you the grace to die. So don't worry about it now. 
You don't need dying grace now. You'll get it later. You'll get it later. So, so we've got saving grace, living grace, and dying grace. And we've got new mercies every single day. Look that side up. Days, days between dates. And see how many days, how many different kinds of, of mercy God has sent your way throughout the ages. It's got to be encouraging. So we have this wonderful mercy. We're, you know, we have these mercies of God, a God who cares enough to send us new mercies every day. Uh, we have a God who wants to color our world and look through the lens of mercy so we can share Jesus in a right way with people. And so Paul says, in view of all of that, okay, here's what he says, the second part of verse number one. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the word there is pretty strong in the middle of verse number one. I urge, okay, that is there. I urge you. Uh, it's not like a, a super urgency, but it's a strong command. I urge you then to, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So, so here's the deal. The time, the time for dead sacrifices is over. The time of slaughtering the lamb, the ram, the oxen, those days are over. And it happened because someone ultimately died for our sins, and that was Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I don't want you to have a dying in that sense, okay? I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The time for dead sacrifices is over, living sacrifices. Now, D.L. Moody was one of those old preachers. Um, actually had a, a great ministry in Chicago. And, and D.L. Moody was not known for his humor, but he hit this one pretty good. Um, he said, you know, the main problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. The main problem with a living sacrifice, it wants to keep crawling off of the altar. And we know that's true, don't we? How, how many times has you, know, you had a great church experience, you know, and like God does the move on your heart thing, and you say, boy, I'm going to stop this addiction. I'm going to stop that habit. I'm not going to be mad at her anymore. I'm not going to be mad at him anymore. You, you get it all right, and you get home, and two days later, ah, you find yourself in a mess. You find yourself in a mess. And that's because we have a tendency to crawl off the altar. And what we got to do is have the courage to keep crawling back on the altar. Now, in Galatians 2.20... Um, this is probably the, this is the best explanation of the sermon title. You know, you know, dying to live, a new way to live. Dying to live, a new way to live. Look what it says in Galatians 2.20. Throw it up there, Eli. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he was our substitution. He took our place on the cross. We fully deserve the cross, but he took our place. And so Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It's not me any longer living. Well, who is it? It's Christ lives in me. So when we become Jesus followers, okay, we accept the fact of his sacrifice. We accept the fact that he died for us, and then we understand that it's not us living anymore, but Christ lives in me. And that is so hugely important. You don't live your Christian life through your power, through your efforts. It's all through Christ. And I really like this next part. The life I now live in the body. Um, um, this dying to live life from the sermon title. The, this dying to live life. Um, I now live in, the, I live in the body. I live by faith. This dying to live life that I have. Okay. 
I live in this body. I live by faith. It's not me. It's, it's by faith. It's faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The greatest thing we can learn is to learn that we need to die to self so we can truly live. Did you write that down? We need to learn to die to self so we can truly live. Now, if not, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It's in your life. Some of you have got it right now. You are struggling so hard to make this Christian thing work. You're saying, if I go to church more, if I keep the rules more, um, if I give more, you know, these things, and, you're, and it's not working for you. Well, when you start understanding this, when you start understanding that you need to die to yourself to start living, that's when it's going to change. It's going to change. It's huge. And, and guess what? You get your whole life to learn it. You know, you, you got your whole life to learn it. It's just, it's just a great and powerful uh, condensed version of what needs to happen in our lives. And there's a guy, and, and I always let these people up and make sure they're not some weird, like, axe murderer or something. And this guy was a great Bible teacher, and it's, uh, it's Maddox uh, Nicholas, if I'm saying it right, Maddox Nicholas. And what he wrote is really, really good. You know, he said, we need to be doing, now this is, highlight this, we need to be doing the inner crucifixion work of character formation daily. I like those words, the inner crucifixion work of character formation daily. It's something that we need to make as part of our lives, our Christian life. There needs to be, hmm, there needs to be some crucifixion work going on in the inside of us constantly. It's a constant thing. So here's the question. The question is, what is it in your life that needs to be crucified? What is it in your life that needs to be crucified? What is it in your life, it may be a thought, it may be a habit, it may be an addiction, but, but what is it in your life that needs to be nailed to a Roman cross? And it's something that we need to do daily. Is it, is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it porn? Is it, is it you know, drugs? Alcohol? Hatred? What is it in your life that's going on as a Jesus follower that you know needs to be nailed to a Roman cross? And that's what he's saying. We need to do our inner crucifixion work to form character. Uh, you know, I'm pretty transparent. I'll be transparent this time. I, I'm not sure... Can't explain it to you, but I've had a real um, issue with anger this week. I'm just mad. And, and I told Judy, I said, Judy, I don't know what's going on. I said, but I'm just angry. I'm just angry. And it really manifested itself uh, this week. Um, I was down in the kitchen um, because Judy's here. I was down in the kitchen. I was just checking to make sure all the dishes were clean. <laughs> no, that wouldn't be true. You remember those pudding cakes you mentioned? You know, you, from Wednesday night, you said they were down there. Remember you said, I left you some pudding cakes down in the kitchen. Well, I was sitting in my office, my own business, and I kept hearing this little voice that said, eat me. I knew it was the pudding cakes calling out to me. 
And so I went down there and turned on the light, and, and sure enough, there they were sitting there, and nobody was around. So I got me a little plate out. You know, Todd, if, if Todd ever watches that video, you know, they have a video camera in the kitchen, you'd see a lot of strange things. Uh, one would be the preacher. But anyway, so I went and I got me a knife and got me a plate, and I whacked me off a piece of it, you know. And so I needed a spoon, okay. And so I'm walking over, I got my spoon, and I'm walking out of the kitchen. The light is on. Okay, and on this side, in case you don't know, there's a counter cabinet, and it's not, it's a sharp edge, it's not, it's not rounded, and I just whacked my hand, and you can't see it, but guys, you can, there's a band-aid there now, if I got to quit bleeding, and I mean, I whacked it, I mean, we're talking about blood, we're talking about torn skin, we're talking about, your pastor was angry, and I wasn't angry at the guy who designed the counter. I wasn't even angry at God that he didn't make my arm swing a different way. I was angry at me. And I said out loud, how can you be so stupid? And all this was coming out of me. You know why it was coming out of me? Because it was in me. And I don't know where it came from, but it was there. And I'm telling you, now I needed to have a crucifixion. Whatever caused that anger, It needed to die. And what is it in your life today that needs to die? What is it that you need to crucify? Let me read it to you again. We need to be doing the inner crucifixion work of character. And I love what he said. He goes on and says, you know, if we want to demonstrate Christ to the world around us. It's so hugely important. Present your body as a living Sacrifice, And then, he, in this last part of verse number 1, he says, Holy and pleasing to God, which is your true worship. Holy and pleasing to God, which is your true worship. And this is so full of meaning also. Now, you see the word holy? Okay, if you've been to church a while, you know, you've heard some preacher, and including this one, this pastor would tell you that the word holy simply means set apart. So we are to set, you know, Paul is saying he wants us to present our bodies as living sacrifices set apart and pleasing to God. Well, once again, I dig a little bit deeper and I found out the word was just a little bit deeper than that, bigger than that. Okay? There's two things that I didn't realize I didn't see before. It does mean set apart, but it also means to have superior moral qualities. Superior Moral qualities. So if I'm going to be holy then, I'm making some good moral decisions. I'm looking out here in things that, that, that are moral issues about, again, about, about addictions and drugs and all those things. Am I making good moral decisions? Okay? All right? But the second one is equally important. It says that we are to not only have uh, superior moral qualities, but divine qualities. So, so what Paul is saying, we're to be set apart, but our lives are to be marked by the superior moral qualities. That we're to live a holy life. But then it shouldn't stop there because the divine qualities are things like kindness and love and forgiveness. Isn't that big? So, so in that little word, that four-letter word, is all this truth packed in. And Paul says when you do that... It is pleasing to God. And then he simply says this. This is your true worship. King James Version. This is your reasonable service. NIV. This is your spiritual worship. 
Different translations all saying the same thing. That, that when we live that kind of a life, it's pleasing to God and it's true worship, which implies if we're not doing that, maybe it's not true worship. Maybe it's not true worship. Okay. I'm fixing to give you something hard. I'm going to give you something easier. And then I'm going to give you a conclusion. Hard, an easy, and a conclusion. All right. The first is a quote by a guy named Jerry Bridges. He's a great Bible teacher, uh, well-known in certain circles, uh, certain circles. And so here's what he says. Now, again, hang with me. If there is not at least... Somebody say at least. Okay, okay. So, so he's not saying, saying you've got to nail it down. He's not saying you've got to be perfect. He's, he's not saying, boy, you've got to get those all the way right. He's not saying that. He says, if there is not at least a yearning in our hearts to live a holy life pleasing to God. That's Paul's words, remember? Holy, pleasing to God. Remember those? He's got Paul's words here, okay? So he's saying, if, if, we, are, if we claim to be Jesus followers, and, I mean, and it is never on our radar to even try to live a holy life. If it's never on our radar to do the God thing, if it's never on our radar to ever consult God and say, Hey, God, what do you think about this decision? Hey, God, what do you think about here? He said, if, if there's not even a yearning for that, here's the hard part. We need to seriously question whether our faith in Christ is genuine. It's hard. It's hard. And I didn't include this to be harsh. I didn't include the quote. He didn't say it to be harsh. But it's a very powerful truth. You don't have to get it right all the time. You won't get it right all the time. I don't get it right all the time. In fact, too often for a preacher, I miss the mark. But I can tell you this. There is a yearning. And I bet there's a yearning in most of your lives too. But just in case you're here and you're going, dude, there's just not a yearning. I mean, I don't even think about it. Maybe you need to look at your commitment to Christ. Is it the real deal? Is it the real deal? I found out mine you know, was, was flawed. It was flawed. A long time ago. Different story. The second one is this, and it's easier. True worship, this is J.D. Greer, a pastor over in uh, North Carolina, I believe. J.D. Greer says this. True worship, and again, by the way, did you notice that's the Paul words from this translation, which is your true worship. True worship is obedience to God. Now, if we stopped there, there wouldn't be a whole lot of power in that. You know, although Jesus did say, if you love me, keep my commandments. He did say that, okay? But that wouldn't be the powerful part. Here's the powerful part. True worship is obedience to God for no other reason than your delight in God. True worship is when you obey God just, be, just to delight in Him. Just to let him know you love him. That is true worship. See, so often we do things and it's for the wrong motivation. We go back to that wrath thing. We do, we do it because we're afraid God's going to zap us if we don't. We're going to do it because your wife you know, will think less of you. Your pastor will think less of you. you know, it's, me, it's me keeping the rules to make sure you don't think less of me. That's the wrong motivation. J.D. Gurr is right. True worship is obedience to God for no other reason 
than that you delight in him. How long has it been since you thought about just delighting in God? You know what we do, don't you? Yeah, I would delight in him if he'd have taken care of this. I would have delighted in him if he'd have gave me this. I would delight in him if he gave me that. Dude, he gave you eternal life. Dude, he forgave your sins. Dude, he walks with you and talks with you every single day. Dude, he dumps a boatload of mercies at your door every day. Dude, it's not only just mercies, it's custom design just for you. Selah. How about that? How about that? Now, here's the, here's the crazy part. You know, he delights over you. Every once in a while we get to read this scripture, and I know it's written to the nation of Israel, but we're his kids too. But in this scripture, in Zeph- Zephaniah, Zephaniah, you ought to name your kid that, Zephaniah. 317. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. He's present. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Somebody say amen. Let me read to you again. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you. He will still you with his love. And here's the icing on the cake. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's a God I can live with. That's a God I can live with. And that's who he is. The same God that delivers mercies every day. He sings over you. He loves you. He's so excited about you being his child Shoot, that's good. He's so excited about you being his child that he sings over you. Wow. Wow. And because he delights over us that way, we should delight over him that way. (laughs) Amen? We should delight over him. All right, so here's my conclusion. This is, as you know, if you're looking at the worship event, you go, Dwayne, you didn't get... Yeah, I know. Worship is more than singing in church. More than instruments and more than music. True worship is a heart longing for him. Now, I wrote this so I can add to it. True worship is a heart longing for him for all of our days, in all of our ways, and all of our lives. Somebody say amen. True worship. All of our days, all of our ways, for all of our lives. That's true worship. And that's what he calls us to. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you're here today, and you've never experienced that. Perhaps you're on Facebook right now, and you've never experienced this wondrous love of the cross where a man named Jesus bled and died, took our place on the cross. The wages of sin was death, and he paid the price. And if we will put our faith and trust in him, turning from our sin and following him, he will 
forgive us. If you've never experienced that, my friend Brent's going to be down front. Boy, we would love to tell you about Jesus. We'll, we'll skip the Baptist part. We'll, we'll, we'll skip those things. We'll get right to this is why God loves you, and this is how you can experience that love. And his name is Jesus. For the rest of us who've already done that, I want to pray that this truth will lodge in your heart. Ever had a piece of food get lodged in your throat? Is uncomfortable? Well, I'm praying this will lodge in our heart and you'll find it quite comfortable. I hope it'll lodge in your heart for the rest of your days. That God is worthy. Because of his mercy, God is worthy of our delighting in and over him. We're going to have an invitation song. It's actually a worship song, but we used it to invite you to respond to what you heard today. Um, the altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. Yes, if you'd like to know more about Jesus, my friend Brent will be here. We'd love to talk to you about that. Um, again, if you just want to come and maybe consider joining our church, whatever decision it might be, or just to come pray, uh, this is your time to respond. So God, thank you very, very much for the privilege of sharing this truth. I want to thank you for every person here this morning. You are so good, God. You're gracious. I want to ask, Father, um, in Jesus' name, that you'll speak to people about a relationship with, with your son, Jesus. But I also pray, God, help this thing get stuck in us. Help this scripture to get stuck in us. And, Father, through the days of our lives, how many more I have and we have, may it make an impact in our lives. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.